Well, good morning. Hope you guys are good. Um, I'm excited about this uh, DIY um, booklet that you received. The reason is we, we really want to encourage you um, that as you come in on a Sunday morning, uh, to come in with an expectation that you're going to receive something that um, is beneficial. Um, but the truth is, if we come in on a Sunday and we hear a message and we never go out and really internalize it, um, we never spend time praying about it and the scriptures and, and what we've heard, um, its effectiveness is, is minimal um, in a lot of ways. It can have a greater effect in our life if we're spending time um, allowing God to speak to us through it. And we want you to be able to hear God speak to you through his word, not be dependent on someone else. That's why um, it's titled DIY, Do It Yourself. Uh, we want you to be able to take responsibility for your relationship with God. Uh, we never become so autonomous um, that we don't need the church. That's not true. We, we need people. Um, but we can come to a place where we're able to walk with God, grow in our relationship with God, hear from God on our own, um, study the word of God on our own. And, and we want to see each, each of us grow up in this. When you come in on Sunday, really the only thing we would encourage you to do is just take notes. If there's something you hear that, that you go, wow, that, that speaks to me, write it down. If there's a scripture that we read and you want to go back, write it down. And then throughout the rest of the week, go through the rest of the process or part of it and just spend time um, reading through the scriptures for yourself um, and internalizing this. We're going to begin using this in some various ways. One of the ways we want to see this happen is for some of the, the connect group time to be able to, to spend some time uh, discussing some of these things. Um, so I'm not meant to um, give you specific questions to answer, but more to get you to really focus in on what's God speaking to you through his word, okay? So I'm excited about that. Um, looking forward to seeing what God does with that in our church. Also excited about where we've been. I know uh, some of our college students are back this week, right? Um, and so we're glad you are back. Uh, with that said, we've covered a lot of ground this summer. And so I want to encourage you to go back, go to our website um, or whatever, and, and go back and listen to these messages from the summer. I know it's going to take you um, some time to get through those, but I really want to encourage you to go back and, and, and listen to these because um, we're, we're working towards something. God's building us to something. In fact, I'm going to put some, some, uh, a scripture up here now, actually out of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, um, we've been talking about this the last few weeks, that in him you, are, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I want to encourage you that God is building us to something. I've said this the last few weeks. He's building us towards something. What's he building us toward? To be a temple in which he dwells, but not a temple of stone and mortar and things like that, but the people, the body of Christ. And so that's what he's building us towards. And so we're um, excited about that, looking forward to that, um, and, and really building towards that. We'll continue doing that today. So what I want to do is I want to pray, and then I want to go back and, and look at a few things that we've talked about the last few weeks, and then ultimately we're going to end up in the book of Galatians. And so um, let's pray, and then we'll get into this. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you, God, that we can hold it in our hands freely that we can read it, Lord. Um, and God, today I pray that we'd have eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, what your words say and what you're speaking to us. God, I pray that um, any incorrect ways of thinking that we're holding on to, Lord, you would correct those through the truth of your word. And God, that we would continue to grow um, more and more into the church and into the people that you have created us to be and are now recreating us to be, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm sure you probably have your all-time kind of favorite TV show. Um, I don't know if I can name one, but one of my favorite TV shows from years back was uh, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Anybody else? Fresh Prince fans? Anybody? Anybody? More hands at nine, older crowd. Um, so, uh, how many of you have watched the show so much you can actually sing the song at the beginning of it? So, who wants to volunteer to do that? Um, somebody's, somebody kicked it off. Hey, Josh, thank you. Um, yeah, West Philadelphia, I was, 
on the playground most of my days, everybody, you know, chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool, and shooting some b-ball outside of school, yeah, yeah, smell you later, yeah, um, anyway, uh, so, yeah, so we've seen that. You, you've obviously watched that too. And so, uh, you know, and I, I didn't realize though how many like sexual innuendos and things when I would watch it uh, before, I never really even picked up on it. It just kind of went by me and until I sat down and I, was, I saw an episode on one, one day and I was like, hey, Reed, Reed's my, my eight-year-old. And, and I'm like, hey, let's watch this. And I'm like, hey, Reed, let's watch something else, right? As, as, it's just, you know, a lot of that in there. So um, anyway, um, I was thinking about that and, you know, we've obviously watched the beginning of that so many times that we know and understand the words and we can say them and, and probably just about everybody in here can, has part of that memorized. Um, but I've noticed like when I watch old episodes now, I have a tendency just to fast forward through that part because it's kind of gotten old. It's kind of like listening to a song on the radio and, you know, at first you love it and then after you've heard it 20 times, you're kind of like over it, right? And so we kind of fast forward through it. Well, some of the stuff we're talking about, I realize we're going back and forth to it all the time. We're talking about it a lot. I know some of you are coming in and you haven't heard the messages from the last several weeks, but for those who have, some of this is probably a little bit redundant. Um, but I wanna encourage you that that's a good thing, right? Because how powerful will it be when we understand our purpose in life and our purpose as a church, how powerful will it be when we understand our relationship with God and are able to grow in that relationship? How, how powerful will it be when I understand who I am in Christ, right? And, and, and the image that I've been recreated in and am growing in. How powerful will it be when I understand how I relate to the people who are also in Christ, the, the other believers and my brothers and sisters in Christ. How powerful would it be if we understood that as well as we understand and know and have rehearsed the words to the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, right? And so some of this stuff that we're going through, um, really beginning to get that ingrained in our, in our minds, getting that ingrained in our hearts is really important. I wanna hit a few things we've been talking about lately. Um, and again, if you haven't been here, this is gonna be uh, really quick, but go back and pick up some of these messages from the summer. Um, the first thing I wanna remind us of is our purpose, the purpose that we're all created for. Ultimately, our, our purpose is to fulfill or fill the earth with the glory of God's image that we are recreated in the image of Christ, in his image, and that we're filling the earth, transforming it in a way that brings God glory, that every inch, every corner of the earth sings the praises of God. And so we, we, we see that that's what we were created for. If that's gonna happen, there are two um, goals that we need to, re re to realize, and realize not just in knowing, but growing into them. Uh, one is that the church grows to maturity in Christ, that we become mature, um, that we um, don't live in a state of uh, perpetual infancy, but that we grow up in Christ, that we become mature uh, followers of Jesus. Um, and then the second one is that the church moves from this pastoral or dependency model of ministry to a biblical model of ministry. If you look at these two um, illustrations, the one on the left, where it shows us currently where we are, that Jesus is the foundation of the church. But then after that, we've kind of looked to the staff or the pastor to, to be sort of the connection to Christ many times, um, or the ones who do ministry. What we have to realize is more of what it shows on the right, that at the very top, it says each part of the body does its work. We have to get to a place where we realize and are equipped as people of God to, to be ministers. A minister is not just someone, even biblically, a minister is not um, someone who is just a pastor or just a, uh, someone who wears a collar or, or someone who's on staff at a church. A minister is every single person who has come to faith in Jesus. We all are called to ministry, but we all need to be equipped in this. The way we see this happen, if you look at the one on the right, as God's called some, as you see in Ephesians 4.11, he's given apostles, prophets, or, um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You get down to verse 
uh, 16 and so that each part of the body does its work. But the way we do this is walking side by side, relationship. We're, we're pouring into each other's lives. People are growing up into who they're called to be in Christ and what they're called uh, to function as in Christ and in Christ's church. And so we see this, this is how that happens, is walking side by side. The last few weeks, we've been looking at the foundation. We've been talking about how there's some cracks that exist in the foundation. The first one we looked at is sometimes there's no clear call to follow Jesus. We, we looked at how when we follow Christ, we're continuing in his presence. We're walking with him, following him in, in his direction, not our own. Um, the last, uh, or two weeks ago, we started looking at how sometimes there's no clear call to fullness in Jesus. And so we're gonna be focusing in on that, but we're also gonna look at later um, how sometimes there's no clear call to Jesus's people, to the church. Sometimes we think we're saved, but we don't realize that when we're saved, we're saved into the body of Christ. We're not called to do this alone. We can't do it alone. We'll look at that more later. And we're also, sometimes we don't realize that or we don't get this clear call to Jesus's mission, um, that the relationship builds to fullness in Christ. The fullness in Christ uh, gives us the ability to, to live fully as the church, and then the church living fully um, together in Christ is able to accomplish the mission of Christ. And so we've been looking at those. Um, two weeks ago when we started looking at fullness in Jesus, we, we looked at this definition to be complete, perfect, whole, thorough, um, having all or the totality of something. And, and we talked about how God didn't give us part of himself. He gave us all of Him, uh, himself. And so we, we realized he didn't hold anything back from us. We have everything in us through the spirit of God to grow into who he wants us to be. But how do we attain it? Um, we realize this, that fullness in Christ is both given and grown. We realize that fullness grows out of what has been given. So Jesus gives me righteousness by faith in him. He makes me perfect and right with God, declared righteous, right? But then I also begin to grow into that. I used an example a couple of weeks ago of how I could give Reed my clothes, my eight-year-old, my clothes. They're not gonna fit, but he can possess those. They can be his. But over time, he's gonna have to grow into those right? It's kind of the same way with Jesus. We're given his image and an identity in, in him, um, righteousness in him. But over time, we grow into that. There were three areas of fullness we talked about. Um, fullness of relationship, fullness of image or identity, growing into or receiving and growing into who he is. Um, and then fullness of expression. When I say expression, I mean that we are expressing the fullness of Christ uh, to those around us within the church, but also outside the church. And so when we look at this, um, we need to understand why fullness is important. We go back to our original purpose, to fill the earth with the glory of his image, with people who are worshiping him, that all the earth sings the praises of God's glory. And then also, how do we attain it? We continue in his presence. We abide and Jesus promises um, that he will uh, produce fruit in our life. Now, when we look at this, I want you to understand this um, a little bit further. And when we look at fullness, and we're looking at this second crack, what does this mean to have a clear call to fullness in Christ? What does it mean to grow fully in Christ? Now, they've hooked me up with this handy-dandy iPad and Apple Pencil so that now I can write on the iPad and you can see it on the screen. So we're really high-tech at this point. Um, makes me feel kind of like John Madden for you old football fans where I can just kind of say like, and then he fakes it here and then it's a bam around the corner, you know, and then uh, I can erase it. So, wow, that's impressive. And so anyway, when you think about these four different cracks um, in this foundation and you think about no clear call to follow Jesus, well, what happens when that begins to be the case is um, we don't grow to fullness in relationship, okay? That first thing that I just showed you, there's no fullness of relationship. When we look at the um, second one, no clear call, let's look at this, to fullness in Jesus. No clear call to fullness in Jesus. I don't, I don't realize or grow into my identity or image of Christ. 
I don't grow into the fullness of this. And this is huge. This is huge. We've got to get this. We've got to see what God's truth teaches in this. The third one, we don't grow into um, the fullness of the church. I don't grow into the ability to relate to others. All of this is relational. Relating to others. Um, so the church doesn't realize fullness. And, and, and understand this, that we can never experience or express the fullness of Jesus by ourselves, okay? By ourselves, it, it, we can't. We weren't created to be able to do that. The fullness of experience in Christ is with other believers, and the fullness of expression of Christ is through his church. It's the way God designed it to be. And then if these things aren't happening, we're not growing to fullness in this, we'll never fully fulfill our purpose. Okay, so I want you to see how all of that works together. We're talking about fullness. We're talking about fullness in relationship, fullness in identity, image, growing into the righteousness of Jesus. We're talking about fullness in um, relating to others and, and fullness in the church and becoming who the church is designed to be. We're also talking about the ability then to fully fulfill our purpose as the church. And so it's really important for us to see um, and understand why are we even talking about this. Um, the second thing, or the next thing I want us to talk about today, and this is where we're kind of getting into new territory and some new stuff, is I want us to realize if we're gonna grow into fullness in Christ, then we've got to have some things that shift in our thinking. We've got to have a paradigm shift in, in a few areas, and we're gonna look at those. But first, I wanna define um, a paradigm, and I want us to think about it this way that paradigms are really assumptions that are shared and they're oftentimes unchallenged, okay? A paradigm is something that um, is, an, is an assumption. We kind of assume things and then um, they're shared amongst other people. So we all think the same way. But the challenge in that for us is that many times it never occurs to us that our thinking could be wrong. We just kind of exist in this paradigm, we just kind of live where we are. And so there's some assumptions in, in the church today that I believe we've got to allow God to correct. One of those assumptions is this, it's um, how I relate to God. How do I relate to God? We need to look at this and understand how I truly relate to him. Um, another one is how I relate to myself. Like, how do I, how do I see me? How do I, um, how do I, do I value me in a healthy way? Do I love me in a healthy way? Most people do not, right? It's either a very selfish love or it's almost a hate, a self-hate because we're not who or what we think we ought to be. Another one is how I relate to others. And then all three of those, those paradigms have to shift so that, we can fulfill the purpose that God's given us. Now, brought a friend with me today. Um, many of you, I'm sure, noticed him already. Um, this is Goliath. Uh, so Goliath, I hope, is going home with somebody else today, not me. Um, but I wanted to use this as an example because a couple of weeks ago, I was reading a book and the guy was talking about paradigms. And, and he was talking about how a paradigm for us is like the water that the fish lives in. Okay, now this fish has probably been poured out of a tank into a bag and from a bag into a bowl. But for the most part, this fish has spent his entire life swimming, right, in water. What he knows is water. There's never been a time where he just hopped out and went walking around, right? And so for the fish in his little mind that is very small, obviously, he doesn't know anything really but the water. It's never occurred to the fish that there's something other than water out there. Like he might look at you right now, he might be nervous. He's actually facing that way. So he might be nervous that there's so many people. But the thing I would tell you is he's never realized that there's a much bigger world that's out there. There's a different way of living. 
that not everything submerges or lives underwater. Now, this is what I'm praying for for us as a church because in many ways, we've been submerged in church culture a lot like this water. We've learned things that honestly have gotten distorted from how they should be. We've just been kind of put in this culture and we've assumed and not challenged much of what we've been told, much of what we've seen and much of what we've heard. But what I'm praying will happen to our church is this, and I will say this, no fish will be intentionally harmed in this illustration. Maybe harmed, but not intentionally. This is what I'm praying for, for our church. Seems simple right? The fish is like, oh my gosh. He's like, you jerk, put me back in the water. But, but let's put him back so he doesn't die. If he floats during this service, I'm going to feel really bad. All right, little fella, get you some air, oxygen, water, whatever you do. Fill those gills up. But, but what I want you to see is think about what happened for that fish the moment I pulled him up out of the water. Oh my gosh. Right? I mean, he couldn't breathe. Like, uh, uh, but, but then he realized, like, there's something else. Right? There's something else. And this is what I'm praying for, I'm hoping for, for us, is, is I believe this, that there's much more that God has for his church. There's much more that he has in, in, in store for us. There's a greater experience of Jesus there's a greater experience of ministry for people. There's a greater expression of who he truly is that can happen to the world. And I know things look bad around us, guys, but listen, I believe that this word is true and I believe that, that, that God can do exceedingly and abundantly more in and through us than what we could possibly ever imagine, even fathom that he can do. And I pray that our paradigm changes, that God opens our eyes to see that there's a much bigger um, kingdom that's out there than what maybe we've known. And so we've got to begin the shift. Um, there's three things I wanna tell you that, and we're gonna get into Galatians right after this, but if we're gonna begin the shift, three things that have to happen. We have to come to a clear understanding of the conditions of our relationship with God. The second thing, we have to have a clear understanding of our position in Christ. The third thing is that we have to have a clear uh, dependency um, or understanding of our perpetual dependency on God. Like that never goes away. If we're gonna grow out of perpetual infancy, then we've gotta realize we have this perpetual dependency that I'm always in need of Jesus. And so we're gonna be looking at that. Now, if you have a Bible, I really wanna encourage you, bring a Bible, bring a Bible, one that does this, okay? Like bring one, it's good. It's, it's good to hold in your hands. We, I'm thankful we can hold it in our hands, but bring one. If you don't have one, we'll give you one. But, but I really encourage you to bring your Bible. Turn to Galatians. It's um, a letter written by Paul in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. He wrote it to the churches in Galatia. And, and the reason that he's writing it is um, really to deal with those three things that I just put up on the screen. He, he's encouraging them to remember the conditions or the, the parameters, the, the, uh, what brought them to relationship with God. What are the conditions of the relationship that they have with God? Um, what brought that about? He's encouraging them um, that they remember who they are and how they're positioned in Christ in relationship with God. And then um, he's really encouraging them also not to forget your dependency and your experience of the Spirit, that that never goes away. And so for the next few weeks, we're gonna be looking at Galatians and hopefully kind of coming up out of the water in some ways to begin to think differently about those three areas because we're gonna have to if we're gonna grow to fullness in Jesus. So let's begin in Galatians 2.11. Um, Paul is writing in, in these first few verses, he's really defending in a lot of ways his apostleship, 
The reason he defends his apostleship or leadership in the church is so that he can defend the gospel, the, 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 the good news of Jesus that he's been preaching. He's saying, listen, my, my leadership didn't come from man. It came from God. Therefore, what I'm preaching to you has authority. It didn't come from a man. It came from God. I wasn't called by a man. I was called by God. And so what I'm telling you has authority because it's not my words, it's God's. And so he's telling them this. And he's beginning at this point where we're going to read um, to really talk about the conditions upon our relationship with Jesus. There were people coming into these churches who were telling these believers that if you don't, if you're not circumcised, if you don't obey the law, if you don't do these things that were these rules that were given to the Jews, this, the law that was given to them, then basically he's tell, these people were telling them, then you're not really saved. To be fully in God, fully in Christ, you have to add something to faith to be saved, okay? And, and so let's read from verses 11 down to the end of chapter two, and we may read a little bit in three, in just a minute. But it says when Kepha, a few giggles, some of y'all are here. We're gonna call him Cephas. Uncle Cephas came to Antioch. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not in, acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus or in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith. Listen to that. So we may be justified by faith, forgiven by faith, pardoned by faith, made right by faith in, in Christ and not and not and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, what? No one will be justified. In other words, by the works of the law, by our own effort, by what we do, none of us will be made right. None of us will be forgiven. None of us will be pardoned because of the things that we do. We cannot make ourselves right with God. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we find we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. What's Paul telling us in this? He's saying, listen, Galatians, don't start drifting into this mindset that you can add something to faith and be made right with God. He's saying, listen, if your dependency is not completely on Christ for your right standing with God, then, then you're gonna get off target. You're gonna fall away from grace. You're gonna fall away from the power of God that saved you. You're gonna fall away from the power of God that works in you. And if you don't keep your eyes on Christ and remember that it was by the goodness of God that you were drawn to him, if you don't remember that it was through the grace of God that you were saved by faith that wasn't even from you, listen, he's saying then you are going to fall back into bondage. You're gonna fall into legalism. And it's gonna, you're gonna lose everything that you've attained. And that's easy and simple enough, right? That we say, look, well, you know, it's by faith, it's not by works. And we go, uh-huh, that's right, praise Jesus. But then we go out and live our life as though it's by works and by law. We go out and live our life and, and, and life comes at us. And, and, and we, we tend to base our the love of God for us off of how well we're performing, right? How many of you on a good day when you feel like, man, I'm, I'm kind of keeping the rules, I'm doing the right things, you come to this feeling like, man, yeah, God loves me. 
But then if we stumble and we fall or we're struggling or, or, or we go to work and we get mad at somebody or we go to, um, you know, pick up our kids from school and, and you know, we, get, we blow it with them, we get mad, we do something that causes us to stumble. And somehow we feel like that separates us from the love of God. And yet the reality, people, is that Romans 8 tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So why do we think like that? Because this is what I would tell you, is that trying to obey rules apart from the love of God does not lead to righteousness. It leads to frustration. It leads to disillusionment. It leads us to go, is this really all there is? Is that God is some taskmaster above me that's just there to tell me, do this, do that. And if you do that, then I'll love you. And if you don't, then I won't. Is that really all there is to this? And I'm telling you, this is a paradigm we have to get out of. And I'm telling you that realizing that God loves you in your good and in your bad does not lead you to want to do more bad. It leads you to want to do more good because your life begins to reflect worship of the one who's done everything for you. See, we don't, we don't, we don't become more like Christ by focusing on sin. We become more like Christ by focusing on him. If I will draw near to him, the Bible promises that if I abide, I continue in his presence, I follow, I walk in the spirit, I walk in his love, I'm walking in obedience, I'm just walking with him. It says that he will produce the fruit in my life. So why it's called the fruit of the spirit. It's not the fruit of Tom or Susan or whoever. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit that comes through, works through us and out of us as we press in closer to God. But see, this is a challenge for us because it goes against everything we've ever known. How many of you remember this from about a year ago? We've talked about it a little bit before, but that was probably three, four months I talked a lot about this diagram, right? Um, We call it God's plan of reconciliation. And I want you to see how this works. And we're gonna revisit this just for a second because I want you to see and understand how powerful this paradigm is that tells me if I perform, I am loved. That tells me my value and worth are tied up and anchored in my performance and how good I am. Listen, this is God's plan. This is the gospel in a nutshell that God so loved the world. Look, it begins with God. God so loved that he gave this unconditional love that even when we were enemies of God, Christ died for us to save us. He pours his love out into us. We're gonna see in Galatians 4, where when we come to faith in Jesus, we receive the love of Christ. We also receive the spirit and the spirit of God begins to cause us to cry out, Abba, Father. And so we begin to not only receive it, we begin to give it back. And 1 John tells us that we can't say we know the love of God if we don't love each other. And so that love begins begins to permeate out of us to one another as we grow in the love of God. Then that love compels us to go to the world. We go and we do what God has told us to do, going to every nation, uh, whether it begins in Statesboro or it goes to Indonesia, wherever it is, we're compelled to go and share the love of Christ with the world. And when that happens, our purpose begins to be fulfilled because the world then begins to be filled with the glory of God's image, with people who are praised him so that all the earth sing the praises of God. And it begins with God. And then when we come full circle to the love of God and the power of the spirit working through us, it also ends with God. It puts God in the center of everything. He's the beginning and the end of it all. Okay. Now here's what the world tells us. It begins with me, right? It begins with me. And my performance determines everything in the world. So if I perform well, and then I'll do well. If I perform well and I have success, then I'll find great value and worth. If I perform well and I have failure, then I'd have no value and worth. If I'm not the best 
athlete, if I'm not the prettiest, if I'm not the most, the best looking, if I don't make the most money, if I don't have the highest GPA, if I don't, um, you know, know the most Bible verses, then I don't have as much value and worth. And this is how we think because this is what we've been taught. And this is not something that just plagues teenagers, it plagues adults too. This is a huge issue for us because what ends up happening is we never get this right, so we carry it into adulthood. And I get to adulthood and what begins to um, give me my value and worth is my work. I begin to find value in work and, and so I work harder. I spend 14 hours a day at, the, at work. Why do I do that? Because man, I can make money and then I, I move up and, and my value and worth seems to be increasing. Or I'm raising kids and, and we put extra pressure on them because man, if, if they don't do good, it's a reflection on me. Um, listen, you know, we need to practice more. You need to study harder. You need to do this, you need to do that. We begin to put pressure on them. Why? Because their success in some way determines my value and worth. So what ends up happening is my success or failure in performance determines my value and worth. My value and worth determines my acceptance in God's eyes, my eyes, and your eyes. And so wherever I can find acceptance, that becomes my identity. Right, Dragon? It's why for me, baseball was such a big deal. Why? Moved here when I was 10. Nobody liked me. Probably because I had a nine inch rat tail. Probably good reason why. But listen, when I stepped on the baseball field, they liked me. I found acceptance. It became my identity, right? And that existed from then until I was 20, 21 years old. Finally finished playing, right? And then I'm like, all right, now what? But, but whatever we can find acceptance in ultimately will become our identity. We, we hunt for it, we search for it. And, and so it begins with us. My success or failure gives me value worth. My value worth determines my acceptance. If I can find acceptance in something, it becomes my identity. It's why a boyfriend, girlfriend, a job, a kid, whatever it might be, we, we begin to obsess with it. Why? Because it gives me value, it gives me worth. It makes me feel like I have some type of inherent value. Now, fast forward this a little bit to the church because I would tell you this is what I believe is that what Paul, listen, what Paul was fighting against is what we see many times in church. That, that Satan is very crafty. The Bible teaches us that. And so this, this understanding and system that we know from the world has crept into the church. Instead of us carrying God's gospel out to the world and it beginning to transform the system of the world, the system of the world has come in and begun to transform how we see God ourselves and other people. And so what happens is, again, it begins with me. I work really hard. If I work really hard, I can feel accepted. And then I can go to church and I can feel good about me. And so the church becomes the one place that, that I go and I act like I have it all together when it should be the one place I can go and everything's falling apart, but I'm surrounded by people who get it, who understand the love of God. So instead of kicking me when I'm down, they begin to rally around me and they begin to pick me up and love me instead of pointing out all my failures and looking down their nose at me like, like I'm different than them. But no wonder... People are exodusing the church when they come in and all they find is the same system that's out there. And then the church, kind of the institution, not the body, the institution, the organization, not the organism, steps in and begins to program our life. And we fall right in line with whatever they tell us they want us to do. Because when we do that, we feel what? Accepted. But listen, it all leads to conditional love. God loves me, I love me, and others love me. Why? Because I've got my crap together. And listen, for every one of us in here right now, none of you do, and neither do I. So quit pretending. 
And don't forget your dependency and my dependency on Jesus. It never goes away. So this is what Paul is wanting them to see. If you go to Galatians chapter three, he's continuing this line of thought. We only have a couple of minutes, but I want you to look at verse 10 in chapter three. We'll probably back up and catch some of this in the coming weeks too, but it says in verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. This is a quote um, out of Deuteronomy, an Old Testament book. And I want you to see this because this is important. Paul didn't just pick the gospel, the good news, the message that he preached. He didn't just cherry pick it from somewhere out in orbit. His, his message was rooted in the Old Testament. It was rooted from the very beginning of time. As God began that plan of reconciliation, immediately as sin started, God began to reconcile things to himself. It climaxed in the person of Jesus. Paul's not just pulling this out of the air. He's saying, listen, this goes all the way back. He's talking to me saying, listen, don't you know that anyone who tries to make themselves right by the law, they're under this, this curse because they can't make themselves right. He says, scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. Look what he told Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. There's our purpose stated again. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. That's up in verse seven, eight, nine. I don't know why I read that, but anyway, it was good. Um, Verse 11, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. Another Old Testament quotation. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Jesus hung on a pole, seen as cursed. He hung on a pole with the curse of our sin on him, the wrath of God falling upon him. He was cursed so that we wouldn't have to be. In other words, Jesus, he, he lived perfectly so he could give us his perfection. He became cursed so that we could become blessed. In his presence, with, with his presence and his power, with purpose again. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Paul is just telling them listen, don't move away from faith in Christ. What you began with is how you're gonna maintain. You can't think, you possibly think you can maintain something that you could never attain in the first place. So finish like you started in faith in Christ. Now what are the results of this real quick? What are the results? What, what does this lead to? What does this end up being? How does this work in our life? One of the results is greater love. Greater love, why? Because I see the love of God. You mean even when I am a wretch, even when I am a sinner, even when I recognize how sinful I am, you love me. How? But see, when that happens, grace becomes amazing again. I was meeting with somebody this week and they said, hey, uh, I feel like I need to tell you something. And it wasn't like I got something I need to get off my chest to tell you about me. It was like, I need to tell you something about you. I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, tell me. And they were like, well, I want to make sure I say it in the right way. I'm like, well, just say it. They're like, well, I want you to take it the right way. I said, well, I trust you. I know you love me. So whatever you say to me is going to be for my good, not to hurt me. So say it. They said, you don't take criticism well. I was like, you're wrong. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. And it hit me. I realized, I was like, I don't. I don't. I, I have a tendency, especially if I think I'm right. If, if you call me on something and I, or I recognize something and I know I'm wrong, that's one thing. But if I think I'm right, I'll fight you all day long for that, right? And, and so I, I'm, I'm, 
I'm there and I'm like, man, he's right. And I don't know if you've been walking with Christ for a while, you've probably had this experience where you, you kind of get to a place where you think like, especially for me in this security with Christ and in Christ, it was like, I kind of got this place where I'm kind of like, man, I, I think I'm figuring this out. And it's kind of like an onion. It's kind of like you get there and you kind of don't think you stink anymore in that area. And then all of a sudden God goes, and it's like, man, something stinks. You're like, oh, dang, it's me, right? And, and it's kind of what happened to me this week is, is I thought like I kind of got this figured out. I, I kind of think, think I understand who I am in Christ. And then this was pointed out to me and I realized like I got a long way to go. I need to grow in God's love myself. Like I, 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 this security in Christ thing, this value and worth thing in Jesus, it's where this defensiveness and this inability to take criticism is where it comes from. Why? Because when I'm challenged, what does it do? It threatens my value and worth. And here's where it's really hard. I wrote a book about this. None of y'all read it, but I wrote it. Got a lot of them left. Um, anyway, so... I realize like we've, this is not something that goes away. Realizing this greater love that leads to greater joy and peace and patience and kindness that leads us to take greater steps of faith. Why can I take greater steps of faith? Because if I fail, my value and worth not connected to it. It doesn't change me. It doesn't change who I am. That's wrapped up in Jesus. I become... I come, I come to this place of a greater God consciousness where I'm thinking about these things. I've set my mind on these things. I'm reminded of these. And this is huge, guys. How do I stay in it? We're gonna wrap this up real quick. How do I stay in it? How do I live in this place? How do, how do I continue in this? Because I'm telling you, Jesus didn't just say that the truth will set us free just because it sounded good and so he could put it on a T-shirt or something. Jesus said it because it's true that the truth will set us free. From sin, yes, but from so much more. And this is how it begins, is that it begins in God's word. That I see who God says I am in Christ. And his word has to become the final authority, the ultimate authority in my life, so that God's voice is louder than all the other voices around me. And everything is brought to the truth of God's word and every thought that doesn't line up with it is taken captive and brought to obedience in Christ. And I can begin to be set free from, the, from even this paradigm and the way I've thought about God, myself, others, and my purpose, even if it's been there all my life. God begins to reconnect the wires in my mind. I begin to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Why? Because God's word has the power and authority to do that. The second thing is I've got to have God's word in community. I've got to have community got to have people around me. Listen, one, I need to be preaching God's truth to me. But two, I need to surround myself with people who will preach God's truth to me. This, this message, understand, we've got to continually preach this. If this understanding is, is technically called justification by faith, it's where we're forgiven and pardoned and made a right and declared right by faith. But understand this, if what we're talking about today is lost, then it's all lost. It's why Paul was so urgent with it. If this is lost, then we're standing literally on sinking sand. We have to continue to preach this to ourselves. We have to continue to, to preach this to each other. And then we have to come to a place where we realize that I am perpetually dependent, forever dependent on Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. To, to remind me of truth. The Bible says that the spirit will lead us into all truth. The Bible tells us that he is the spirit of truth. So the spirit comes and reminds and confirms this in us. So God preaches this to us through his word, but also through the spirit of God. 
And we have to begin to recognize and understand this. I'm telling you guys that this will set you free in a way that you've never experienced. Your love for God will go through the roof because you again capture what you probably experienced at the moment of your salvation, how amazing God's grace is that can lift off our sin. And we once again realize that that this is the truth, that God's love is enduring and it, it lasts and it's with us forever. There's no separation. And so we don't just um, come boldly before God's throne of grace when, when we um, think we got it together. We do what the scripture says. We come boldly before God's throne of grace to receive mercy in our time of need. If we rewrote that according to the way we think, we'd write, um, to come boldly before God's throne of grace when I think I've got it all together and I have no need. But the invitation is come boldly before God's throne of grace to receive mercy and grace in the time of need. If we weren't in a time of need, there'd be no need for grace and mercy. But I'll tell you this and I'll end right here. Every single one of us need the grace and mercy of God working in us, for us, and through us every second of every day. And when we realize that, we become more God conscious. Our praise goes through the roof. We, we, we begin to worship him more and everything begins to change. If we're going to grow into the fullness of Jesus, we can't live in this place where we think God loves us sometimes, sometimes he might not. We've gotta grow out of this place and understand the conditions of our relationship are not based on how good I am, but it's based on how great, how awesome, how amazing is our perfect savior who gave us his perfection. That's the condition of our relationship. So I wanna pray for us. We'll get out of here. Seven minutes over. No surprise. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the truth of your word, Lord. I pray. I pray, God, that this would sink into our hearts, Lord, that you would be our teacher, God, that somewhere in all those words, God, your spirit would begin to pluck those words out and put them in our heart, that we begin to live by them we begin to preach these things to ourselves, that we begin to stand firm in who we are in you. We begin to stand firm in the conditions of our relationship with you. We begin to draw near to you, God, continuing in your presence. I pray for each person here, that God, they would draw closer and closer and closer, that they would spend time with you during the week just to be in your presence, to, to hear what you have to say to them through your word and in community with each other, what your spirit is speaking to their hearts. God, I pray that you would stir our affections more and more for you as God, we see really and truthfully how amazing you are. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you.